If you have your Bibles with you, Luke chapter 7 is where I would like for you guys to meet me tonight as I feel like that's the place over the past few weeks that God has led my heart to share a message or an assignment or an encouragement with you. And there's an incredible instance that takes place that I want to point out to you tonight that comes from Luke chapter 7. But before I do so, and while you're turning there, I want to say this. I grew up playing baseball, and I absolutely loved the game of baseball as a child. But I can distinctly remember our coaches telling us when we were out in the field to get in position. In other words, to get ready, to position yourself and be ready to make a play. Being in position was important. Because if you weren't ready and anticipating, then you could make an error, you could miss the ball, you could end up throwing it to the wrong base. So being in position was important. As we come to the Word of God, position is important. That's why we start with worship, because it helps position our hearts. And the position of our heart is vital to us receiving the Word God has for us because if we aren't in a position of readiness, then we run the risk of missing out on receiving. So do me a favor tonight and turn to somebody beside you and just tell them, get in position. Get in position. Make sure that you're in position tonight as we get ready to encounter God through his word. Luke chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We've got it taken care of it. On the screen, so read along with us. Luke chapter 7, starting verse 11, says, Soon afterward, he, being Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, And the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Verse 18, the disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I want to speak for the next few moments of our time together from the subject of a dead man, a weeping widow, and an offended soul. And to my note takers out there, I apologize from the beginning. I don't have a nice, neat, step-by-step outline prepared for you tonight, but that's by design because I really want to just to lean in and take in what's taking place in this passage. It doesn't mean you can't still take notes, but that's as far as you're going to get on the screen. So I apologize. I know some of you in your note-taking OCD, you're already upset at me, but it's okay. We'll make it through it together. I don't like funerals. 
I don't like going to them. I don't like participating in them. I don't like the awkwardness of standing in line, walking up to the family, knowing that there's nothing you could possibly say to remove the sting of the loss that they felt. I don't even like seeing a funeral procession coming down the road. There's just a lot of pain and sorrow and often regret associated with funerals. And for me, they always serve as a reminder of our personal rebellion against an almighty and holy God. So I don't like funerals, not in the least bit. Jesus had been ministering in a region called Capernaum when he left that place and entered to a town called Nain. And I want to say this at the beginning, and I need you to hold on to this for a little bit later on. Jesus's traveling plans are never without transforming purposes. Just ask the woman at the well. Just ask Zacchaeus. Just ask the two people that were walking down the road back to Emmaus. Just ask the whole city of Bethsaida when Jesus' boat washed upon their beach. Jesus, his traveling plans are never without transforming purposes. And as Jesus and his disciples are entering into the town, they encounter a funeral procession coming out. This man has passed away and his mother and friends and a whole big crowd of people are carrying him to his grave when Jesus meets them and things get real interesting over the next few moments. The text tells us that Jesus meets these people coming out of the town and he interrupts the procession, basically causing them to stop in their tracks. Have you ever been on the road as a funeral procession came by? Most of the time when that takes place, people either pull over or they stop and let the funeral procession pass on through. But I've seen people just blow right through the funeral procession before. Have any of y'all ever witnessed this? Anybody want to make a guilty confession tonight that you are that? I do have to admit something. It's kind of shameful to admit this, but I was driving down the road one day and I was blowing right through a funeral procession. had no idea what I was doing until about halfway through when I realized this isn't good. Here's my guilty confession. I put my emergency blinkers on and just kept on going because I acted like I had an emergency of my own to deal with because I didn't want to deal with this it. rude, it's insensitive, right, to not pay that due respect to either pull off to the side of the road or stop and let the funeral procession pass on by. Jesus is that guy right now. Jesus is that guy who's interrupting the funeral procession. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know what he was there to do. All they knew was that this random guy has just walked up and in a rude and insensitive way has put a stop to the funeral procession while they're going out. And to make matters seemingly worse, he starts touching the beer or the casket, modern day for us. So it's not just that Jesus interrupts the procession, it's that he walks up to what they're carrying this dead man out on me and he starts rubbing his hands all over it. And the pallbearers are frozen. What's this guy doing? Do y'all know this guy? Anybody seen him before? Because I'm pretty sure throughout the entirety of this man's life who has passed away and knowing his family like we have, we've never seen you around before. So what do you do? You've interrupted the procession. Now you're, you're rubbing your hands all over the casket, but that's when the miracle happens. And Jesus speaks, young man, I say to you, arise. Do you see what the text says? Sometimes I think the impact of the miracle gets lost in the sense that we just read words off of a page so often. Jesus touching 
the beer, says, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the text follows that up by saying, And the dead man sat up and began to speak. I told you things got real interesting in a hurry when Jesus encountered this funeral. But here's what I want you to hear out of this. This is the good news of the gospel, men and women. The good news is the fact that God's word tells us we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of our sin is death. And his word even goes on to tell us that we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. Just like this man, we were finished. They were carrying us out to our grave and we were completely powerless to do anything to change our situation. But I told you earlier, Jesus' traveling plans are never without transforming purposes. So it wasn't just that he traveled to Nain. It's that he chose to travel from heaven to this earth so that we could be transformed through his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the grave so that anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and believes that God raised him from the dead and calls upon his name, they shall be saved. Those of us in the, can I talk to the saints in the room for just a moment? Those of us in the room tonight that have been redeemed, aren't you thankful that Jesus interrupted your funeral, that he touched your dead soul, that he called out your name and he said, arise, setting you free from your sin and from your death and giving you life in him. Any saints in the room tonight that are thankful that Jesus interrupted your funeral? And I'm thankful for it. I believe he stands ready to interrupt so that he can raise up some more lost souls tonight. But this man wasn't the only person Jesus was concerned about. He's not the only one that has a part in this story. Go back and look at verse 12. It says that as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. We're told that this man was the only child of his widowed mother. And as Jesus walking, is walking up, this poor woman is distraught. She's weeping almost uncontrollably over the loss of her son. She'd already lost her husband at some point. Now she's going through the horrific pain of having to bury her only child. Imagine the pain. Imagine the sorrow. Imagine the anguish. Imagine the despair that she felt in these moments as Jesus is having this encounter with them. But it goes even deeper than just the pain of her losing her son. See, in those times culturally, women had to be so dependent upon men to provide for them. They didn't have all the freedoms that women enjoy in our modern day. They weren't able to go out and work a job and take care of themselves. Most of the time they had to ask for permission just to go out in public if it was going to be without their husband. So her pain goes so much deeper than just the sorrow and the anguish and the despair that she felt over losing her only child. This woman now has nobody. She's alone which means there is no one left to stand in her place and provide for her while she's left behind here on this earth. So on top of her weeping is her worry. On top of her anguish is her anxiety. 
of wondering how in the world she's going to be able to survive being left on her own. To say she was an emotional wreck, I think would be an understatement. And then Jesus walks up and tells her to stop crying. (laughs) I find a little bit of humor in the midst of it. Apparently nobody ever taught Jesus funeral etiquette. This man has interrupted the procession. He's put his hands all over the casket. And now he's telling mom to stop crying. A word to the wise. If you have the displeasure of having to attend or be a part of a funeral in the next few days, don't walk up to the morning and tell them to stop crying. Apparently Jesus has no funeral etiquette whatsoever. Of all people, he's going to tell us to stop crying. He's going to tell mom to stop crying. But here's what I really want you to notice. It says that Jesus saw her. He had compassion on her. Jesus saw her tears. He saw her sorrow. He saw her pain. He saw her anguish. He saw her despair. And I don't know who this is for tonight, but I know one of the main things that the Lord desires to speak to you is the truth that he sees you as well. Jesus sees you. And you need to know that Jesus doesn't see like we see. Jesus doesn't see at all like we see. A few things I want to point out right here. The first of which is that Jesus always sees with intention. When Jesus told the woman not to cry, it didn't expose an insult. It revealed an intention. Jesus says, don't cry because I'm about to do something for you. When Jesus sees, he always sees with intention. And I need you to take that tonight. Sometimes the way in which he speaks, it it seems like an insult at times. But he's really revealing his intention to this woman. Don't cry because you shouldn't be crying. Don't cry because I'm about to do something in your favor. Jesus always sees with depth. Jesus looks beyond the surface and sees the depths of what no one else can detect. He doesn't see like we see. We only see depth in the means by which people allow us to see into their lives to uncover it. Jesus sees with depth whether you uncover it for him or not. Jesus always sees with depth. Listen, what you keep hidden is what Jesus has his eyes set on healing tonight. You can keep it covered up as long as you want to, but I promise you he sees right to the depths of the hurt or the pain or the sorrow or the struggle or the stronghold or the addiction that you are battling. And that place that he is looking at, he's looking at with intention. What the intention is to bring you healing in that area. Jesus sees with intention. Jesus sees with depth. But Jesus also sees with empathy. I love this one. It's not just that he sees, it's that he feels what he sees. It's not that Jesus saw this woman's pain, it's that he felt this woman's pain. It's not that Jesus saw this woman's sorrow, it's that he felt her sorrow. It's not that Jesus saw this woman's despair, it's that he felt her despair. 
It's not that Jesus saw this woman's helplessness. It's that he felt it as well. Jesus always sees with empathy. And to support that even further, the writer of Hebrews says just this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. Jesus doesn't just see what you've got going on. He feels it as well. I think you can take great comfort in that. In knowing that he feels the things that you are going through. And we see this exemplified all throughout the Bible. When God's people, the Israelites, were in slavery. Listen to what God says in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen, seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Right before Jesus fed the 5,000, he looked out across the crowds in Matthew chapter 14, and he says this, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus saw a leper. It says, and a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can take and make me clean. Move with pity or move with compassion. He stretched out his hand and touched him and he said to him I will be clean. In Matthew chapter 20 Jesus saw two blind men. It says they said to him Lord let our eyes be open and Jesus in pity or Jesus in compassion touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. In Matthew chapter 9 Jesus encountered a woman with an illness and it says and Jesus rose and his disciples followed him. Behold a woman who had suffered a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself if I only touch his garment I will be made well Jesus turned and seeing her he said take heart daughter your faith has made you well and instantly the woman was made well in Luke chapter 13 he saw a disabled woman and behold there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself and when Jesus saw her he called her over and said to her woman you are freed from your disability and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. In John chapter 5, Jesus saw a paralyzed man. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And then later told him to get up, take your mat, and go. Jesus sees the hurts and the pains of the souls that he has created. And he has compassion. How many times do we look upon the people around us and never have compassion for the things they're going through? And I think because of that, we get scarred. And we think that that's how our God treats us, but it's not. Jesus sees and he has compassion. For the one battling depression, Jesus sees you. For the single mom struggling to keep your head above water, Jesus sees you. For those who have lost loved ones too soon, Jesus sees you. For the couple hurting from a miscarriage, Jesus sees you. For those who have been abused, Jesus sees you. For those who feel abandoned and alone, Jesus sees you. For those battling illness, Jesus sees you. But he also feels your pain. He feels your sorrow. He feels your despair. He feels your loneliness. In the book of Psalms, it says that he is near to the broken hearted. 
And if you don't believe me, can I just state this? The fact that you're here tonight shows that he sees. Can I go beyond that? The fact that you're here tonight shows not only that he sees, but that he is doing something on your behalf. Everybody says he sees. Jesus sees you. But there's one other person. One other person involved with this story that I never really lumped in to this account until I started studying over the past few weeks. I never really took into consideration that there was one other person affected in the midst of all this. And his name was John the Baptist. So go back and look at verse 18 with me. It says that the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And so John says, I need you to go and find out for me for sure if this really is Jesus or not. And Jesus sends word back, and he says, Man, you need to tell John this, that, that all these things are, are being done, that the sick are healed, the blind see, and the lame walk, and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news of the gospel preached to them, bless the one who is not offended by me. So Jesus sends word back to John. He says, I want to confirm what you believe is actually taking place, that this is indeed me. So a little background. John the Baptist was a prophet, specifically called to declare the coming of Jesus. And his message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. His message was one of judgment, one of turning back towards God. And you better get your life right because I'm telling you, one that's greater than me is coming on my heels. And you better be ready for when he gets here. And as Jesus is performing these miracles, John is actually in prison. That's why he had to send messengers to go and find out what was going on, because he himself is in prison. And it wouldn't be long after that that John would end up being beheaded. So John sends some of his helpers to inquire and see if this truly is Jesus. And Jesus sends word back to John, confirm, confirming that it is indeed him. He says, the sick are healed, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the gospel is proclaimed, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I found it to be such a curious statement to add in to all the good stuff that was taking place in the midst of what Jesus was doing. Send word back to John, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I couldn't get past that. Why would Jesus add that in? A lot of what Jesus did could be seen as offensive. Especially within the context of the passage that we just read. He interrupted the procession. He's touching the casket. He's telling mom not to cry. And for John, the things Jesus was doing seemed to undermine his ministry a little bit. It almost seemed to make John feel insignificant. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Get your life right because there's one coming behind me who's greater than I. And if you're not where you need to be, I promise you it's not going to work out for you. And John did a lot of good things for the glory of God. And all of a sudden he starts getting word of this other guy that's on the scene who's doing all these amazing things that go far and beyond anything that John ever did. And for him, it almost seemed like it's whoever this person is. Is it Jesus? Is it not? I don't know, but I feel like they're cutting my legs out from under me because I'm in prison right now. And let me just give you an encouragement. Even the strongest of saints can fall victim to doubt from time to time. As John's sitting in prison, he begins to be flooded with doubt. And he says, I need to know what's going on because if this is Jesus, then I don't understand fully what you're doing, Jesus, because this doesn't exactly line up with everything that I had proclaimed about you as you were coming to this place. And on top of all this, they're telling me that you've came to set the captives free. Well, 
Hello? I'm in prison. Come to set the captives free. Well, where are you at for me? So imagine the level of offense that John felt towards Jesus because he wouldn't come and set him free. Because he wouldn't do something in John's favor. I believe sitting in this room tonight, there's some offended souls. You're hurt, but you're also beyond hurt, and you're to the point where you're angry. One thing that God has helped me realize lately is that there are a lot of hurting people right now carrying heavy stuff in their lives. And it's funny that our pastor this morning in the Sunday morning message alluded to this very same thing. I really feel like a lot of you are hurting. I feel like a lot of you are going through deep pain, deep sorrow, deep anguish. And I think some of you have moved past the point of hurt to where you're mad. You can't understand And you're confused by why certain things have happened, why God has done things a certain way or hasn't done things a certain way. And like John, you're a little on the offended side with God. My encouragement to you is quite simply this. Hold on. Because you don't know the rest of the story yet. Hold on because you don't know the rest of the story yet. When Jesus interrupted the funeral, a lot of his actions seemed offensive but he wasn't offending he was actually mending he was mending the son he was mending his mother when Jesus sent word back to John his words could have seemed a little bit offensive but once again he wasn't offending he was actually affirming Later on in the passage, he would go on to tell the crowds of people that were around him that there is no greater prophet than John. He affirmed him. Hold on. Because you don't know how he's going to heal. Hold on because you don't know how he's going to mend. Hold on because you don't know the rest of the story that is still being written out upon your life and how God is going to mend you, how he's going to heal you, how he's going to transform you, and not just you, but how he is going to use that story as a part of your life to give us a testimony and a witness to his goodness and his grace and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness to the people around you. I promise you it's not insignificant, John. Your ministry wasn't irrelevant. And I promise you guys what God is allowing you to walk through is not insignificant and it's not irrelevant. He will affirm his purposes at the right time. A few years back, man, I actually had the opportunity to go to Guatemala on a mission trip as an opportunity to establish, hopefully then, a new partnership with a couple of missionaries there. So we got things put together and we prayed and asked God to just guide and direct our paths and give us the opportunity to go so hopefully we could get this partnership established. And while we were there, the missionaries there had found out that they had water on their property, which is a big thing in Guatemala because water is not plentiful there like it is here. You can't just go down to the store and grab a 73 pack. It's like they keep getting bigger and bigger. It's like, why are we going to make this any much? But I can't get it on the car anyway. You can't go down there and get that like you can here. And so they had found out they actually had water, a well, on their property. And so they were in the process of digging a hole to tap into that water so they could have fresh water there at their ministry complex. And so while we're there, the guy, his name's Daniel McIntyre, he is crazy as all get out. 
And we're standing out there watching these Guatemalans dig this well one day. And he nudges me and he says, hey, you want to go down it? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> do you want to go down it? He's like, man, I've been wanting to go down it. I just never had anybody to do it with me. I was like, well, how deep is it? He says, I think they're at 170 feet. And so two guys together, then it became a matter of pride. So, I'm not going to let you go down it and me not go down it. And I'm not going to go down it if you're not going to go down it. So we decided to go down the well. I said, here's the deal. I'll go down if you go down first. So I want to show you just a picture real quick of what the harness looked like that they rigged us up on as we got ready to go down the well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some nylon rope with about three logs that they had stuck in the ground and tied together at the top. What you can't quite see is the pulley lever that's suspended there that looked like it had been at the bottom of the river for about 25 years and was good and rusted over. So that's what we went down on. And they had a little hand winch off to the side that they would crank by hand by themselves. So Daniel's like, it's going to be fine, man. It's no big deal. I was like, that ain't going to hold me. He's like, it's fine. They go up and down it all the time. I was like, do you see them? They're 5'3", 120. I'm 6'3", 220. I don't think this equipment is rated for a big one like me. He's like, no, it's fine. So he goes down in the well, stays down there for a little bit, and then they winch him back up, and now it's going to be my turn. So they're getting me strapped in, and I'm getting ready to go down to the well. We begin the descent, and they're slowly nudging me down, and it's about as much room for me to rock side to side about like this. Where are my claustrophobic people at? <laughs> y'all literally just drawed up. You're starting to sweat. It was already hot in here to begin with. It's fixing to get hotter for y'all. So we start going down to the bottom. It takes them about 10 minutes to get me to the bottom. I want to show you a picture that I took at the very bottom of that well. I'm talking next level. <laughs> Darkness. You couldn't see anything. I've never been in such a small, confined space, such a small amount of light. Not to mention the fact that the air was so thin down there that you could hardly get a breath the whole time. I stayed down there for about five or six minutes, 170 feet in the middle of the earth. And while I was down there, I want to show you the next picture. This is the next picture I took. And if you didn't know the context of the story, you'd probably think, wow, what a beautiful full moon. <laughs> That's the hole. 170 feet away tiny little speck of light. You know, sometimes when you can't understand and you're confused by the things that God's doing in your life, you feel offended, you feel angry, you feel upset because certain things have been allowed to happen or certain things haven't been allowed to happen. That's what it can feel like sometimes. It feels like you're at the bottom of a pit, surrounded by darkness, barely able to breathe, feeling like the walls are getting closer and closer and closer into you the entire time. I've been there. I know that feeling. 
It's not a fun place to be. But don't forget to look up. Because of our circumstances and our situations, so often all we do is look horizontally. And we never take the time to take a vertical look. And if I can encourage you, hurting souls in here tonight, yes, it's that Jesus sees you and He has compassion upon you, but it would also to be this, to go home or maybe here tonight, fall down and hit your knees and bow before God and then look up and see that there is light above you. It took them 20 minutes to pull me up out of that pit. He's not always going to snatch you up out of it instantaneously. But He will let you know that there is light above you. And though it might take time to get you back to the surface, He's winching. He's pulling. He's for you. He sees you. He has compassion. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment as we go into a time of invitation and response tonight. I want you to recall the story with me just for a brief moment. how it all ties together. A dead man was raised to life. Are you dead in your sins? And I'm inviting you to come to life in Jesus tonight. To give your life wholly over to Him and let Him save you. A weeping widow had her mourning turned to praising. Are you broken? Come and be restored tonight at the feet of Jesus. An offended soul. Are you full of anger tonight? Come and let Jesus affirm His promises and His love for you tonight. This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that He will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.